Today we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna chat today, and, and I, I want to get uh, somewhat personal. We'll get to some personal questions in a second. But uh, my son Noah uh, is in the fourth grade now. Uh, do you have kids? Did you survive the first week of school? Yes. Good. Good. Maybe you need a prayer of confession this morning. Uh, maybe relief or something along the way. You can pray those along. But Noah and I went to Kroger because he needed some duct tape to decorate one of his folders because that's what the kids do these days. They decorate with duct tape. And so we go to the Kroger uh, down the street, and he's got duct tape, different colors. And we come out of the parking lot, and there's a woman, and she has that look. You've probably had this look before. She's like, she's looking around, and she's wondering in the middle of the street even. And Dad get, or Noah gives me the look like, what is this woman doing? And she's just kind of looking, and she, she even starts to point, and it's like, I know that I, I came in that door, and she's looking for a car, and she can't find it. And I, you know, kind of interjected in the conversation, because I've been there before. Have you been there before? Said, pull out the, and I couldn't think of the name. What is the little, what do you call that thing? Bob, thank you. I call it the beeper thingy. Uh, if you'll pull out the beeper thingy, maybe that'll help us. And she starts to... to to push the button, and, and it's like five rows over on the other side of the parking lot that she has to go across. Now, I don't know how good your memory is, but sometimes we forget stuff, don't we? And this series that we've been in, we call it, we're calling it DNA, we're really trying to remember. We're trying to remember who we're called to be and what we're called to be as, as Christians. Now, here's one of that personal, those personal moments I was telling you about. Now, if you can, kind of lock in eyes to eyes with me. I can't look at all of you, but I'm going to try. Here's the question of the series, really, as we try to remember who we are. Do you want to be a Christ follower, someone that follows Jesus Christ, that tries to be what he's called us to be, or do you just want to take his name and hope to get the benefits in the end? Because that's really the question we're looking at. What does it really mean to be a Christian? What does it really mean to be a Christ follower? We're looking at these core values, and we honestly think that this is what it's all about. These are the things that we should be striving for and going after if we are going to be what God has called us to be. And so quick review, if you haven't been with us, the first week we looked at this phrase, respond to God's love. And what we believe with this is that God loved us so much that he sent his son, you know this part, to die for us, to live for us, to show us the way, to connect us to the Father. And when you get a hold of that love, there should be, a, hopefully, a response. And that response we see in Scripture is this, that we're going we're gonna to give our lives to you. We're going to put our faith or put our trust in you. Now, the ultimate symbol of that is what we're celebrating today. I can't wait till we get to that part in the service. That's why you have the cowbells on your chairs. Baptism is that symbol of saying, I put my faith in you. That's a way of responding to God's love. My heart is yours. You are my Lord and you are my God. There's other ways we can respond to God's love. You've done it this morning by singing, by worshiping, by the way you live and the way you act. That's, that's how we respond to God's love. And, and Christ followers should do that, not just in the beginning at baptism, but all the time. The next week we talked about this realign our lives with Jesus. And what Jesus called his disciples to do is, is this thing called, it's a very simple phrase, remember it? Follow me, to become like Jesus. Now, that seems to be a lofty goal, but that's, that, that's what he wants us to do. I was asked to do a, um, it was a morning middle school devotional at a, a school about 10 years ago. 
And I had to get up at about 6.30 in the morning and give this devotional to kids that are in a gym, and they are there for the snacks, and they're there for the games in the early in the morning, and I'm trying my best to youth pastor it up a little bit and be the funny guy, but also just, you know, break God's word and just show these kids who Jesus is. And something crazy happened that morning. Jesus showed up, and... It was amazing. It was like a God moment right there in the gym, in the middle school. And at the end, I felt led to give this, uh, this call to, to say, hey, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to ask Jesus into your heart? And some people raised their hands to give their life to Jesus. It was awesome. It was an amazing day right there at 7 o'clock in the middle school in, in Florida. And the guy that was kind of the leader of the, the whole thing, the guy that asked me to do it, he, he said that he went and got cards, basically, for each of these people that raised their hands. And it was salvation cards of saying, yes, I've chosen to, to follow, follow Jesus. There's something that happened, though, after that. There, nothing happened after that, essentially. There was no follow-through. There was no nothing after that. And I, I think for some people, they think that, that becoming a Christ follower, it's just about getting the card. But that's the first moment, not the end moment. Are you with me? There is this process that we become more and more like Jesus. And that's what we mean when we say realign our lives with Jesus. This last week we talked about revealing the light. And that is this call that we go out and we tell others about Jesus. That we reveal the light to others so that they can respond to God's love. Okay? And so this week we're going to go back as we're trying to remember some more. We're going to jump back to the first church. This is a familiar passage for some of you. Acts 2, you can flip in your Bibles there, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. You might know it by heart, maybe you don't. Grab it in your Bibles. It's Acts, it's right after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Then Acts, the fifth book in the New Testament. And here is where we find this church gathering together. Jesus has just been on earth. He's just been crucified, but he came back to life again. And he gave him this, this word that we told you last week that said, go out and make disciples. Go out and make disciples. Tell others about me. That's, that's our mission part of it. And so they went back to town. The Holy Spirit comes, and they begin this, they start this movement, this church, this gathering of people, and this is what happens in Acts 2, 42. All the believers, all the Christians, all the Christ followers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we're going to celebrate in a few minutes and to prayer. A, di- a deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles, the disciples, they performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers, they met together in one place and shared everything that they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Now, there's a phrase, a couple of phrases that I want you to learn this morning and repeat after me. If you can, they're very simple. I need you. That was good. Second one, you need me. We need you. You need us. We'll try it one more time. You guys are doing great. This is also a wake-up exercise. I need you. 
You need me. We need you. You need us. Do you believe that this morning? I hope you do. We'll get there. I was listening to an uh, a interview with a retired sport, a, ba- a baseball pitcher, and he was talking about, they were interviewing him about how he played ball 20 years ago. And they asked him all these questions about, well, what are the things that you miss the most? Do you miss the competition? Do you miss, you know, pitching in big moments? And he came back to this phrase over again, I miss, I miss being with my teammates. I miss being a part of the team. And I don't know if you've ever I don't know if you've ever heard guys before. It seems like this is a phrase that, they, that retired guys say all the time. I miss being a part of the clubhouse or being a part of something there. I confess to you, I think you know this about me. If you don't, uh, I am a sports junkie. I just love sports, all kinds of sports. Uh, I'm very fortunate. I saw my wife for the first time, and I knew that she was a 10. And by maybe I'm like a 6 in the 1 to 10 scale, and she's like a 10, Okay. But then when I found out that she loves sports almost as much as I do, she became like a 20, okay? And I knew in that moment she's the one, okay? Because she doesn't just love sports. She loves sports. You should have seen her watching the Olympics, and she cannot make eye contact with me right now. Uh, it was great. I mean, she is just as competitive as I am, and we just, she played soccer in college, and we both just love sports. And the thing that we love about sports is this. It's a bunch of individuals that come together from all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of stories and and all kinds of skill levels, and they're coming together for this collective group. And when a a team is working together in an amazing way, it's, it's almost like a symphony to watch in motion. It's beautiful. They're going after the same thing. They're helping each other, picking each other up, cheering for each other, and it just makes this beautiful collective team that's happening. Now, my friend Brent tells me that, uh, you know, in football, that the most important position is what on the field? Now, a lot of people would say quarterback, okay? I don't know if you would throw this out. We kind of have this discussion, what the most, what do you think? Tell your neighbor what you think the most important position on the field. Kicker. Whatever, whatever my grandson is playing, I like it. Now, Brent's argument is that it's the offensive line, okay? It doesn't matter what kind of quarterback you have if you don't have an offensive line to keep the guy from being on his back the whole time or his backside the whole time, right? Now, if you've ever seen a play, I know it's, it's really easy for us in a couple of weeks, and who's excited about football coming back? Yeah. In a couple of weeks, it's really easy to keep our eyes on the quarterback and then the person who catches the ball, the person who has the ball. But the beauty of a play is when you see the offensive line and the defensive line, they meet. And the offensive lineman holds the guy back or doesn't hold. He tries not to hold, and he's blocking him. And it's just one-on-one, each person winning each battle. And then you see a linebacker blitz up the middle, and the running back picks it up, and he catches the guy just before he can get to the quarterback, right? The tight end goes and, and makes a, a middle route, and it draws the safety forward. And then the other wide receiver does a slant to get the other safety, and now you have one-on-one coverage, coverage with the outside wide receiver. The quarterback drops back. The running back picks up the blitzer. He throws a pass, but they're so collectively in, in, in cohesion, it's a back shoulder throw. Now, if you, know, if you follow football, you know what I'm talking about. 
It's perfectly timed. The receiver at the, the right time goes back shoulder, catches a pass, 30 yards, a work of art. Now, did that happen because of the quarterback? That happened because there was an amazing team working together to do something beautiful. That's how sports is beautiful, folks, okay? It's a beautiful thing. And what you're seeing in the first church is something beautiful happen. People coming together from different backgrounds, Jews, Gentiles, people from nearby and people that are far away, people that had known Jesus for a long time, people who are just, just getting to know him. And they've come together. And what do they do? They tell us about what happens in that very first church in the first century. They strive to become more like Jesus. And they want to tell others about him. They are dedicated to what? Apostles' teaching, learning God's word, fellowship with other believers. They're dedicated to prayer. They met together daily, and they shared what they had. They broke bread together. I think in this moment they were about to share, but also they would sit down at tables together. They would break bread together. And you know what I think they would talk about? They'd talk about Jesus. Remember that time that Jesus said that? Remember that time that we did this with Jesus? Remember what Jesus has done for us? They praised God together. And the Lord added to their number. They started to grow from just a band of brothers of of 11 to this movement of God. This huge movement of God. And this happened because this beautiful team called the church came together. Now, what we believe here is that real life change, that we become like Christ, and we are transformed to be more like him, and we're on mission in the context of relationships. So one of these qualities that we're talking about And one of the core values of our church, and we believe as Christ followers, is that they are in this world to rebuild community. Because that's what we're talking about here, community. There is this desire to be a part of something. And I think, as we get to this other personal question, I think I know something about you. Even if I don't know everything about you, I may know a lot about some, but not much about others. I know this about you, I I think, that each one of you want to be a part of something bigger than just yourself. You want to be a part of something that's not just you, but you're a part of something amazing. A group of people that are on a mission, living life together, and that's what we're seeing happening. Now, as I thought about this, I love this imagery of this first church, but i got to be honest, there's some, some things about myself that I kind of dug deep, and, and I tried to channel you a little bit and thought, well, well, why would I want to reject this community thought or these things, this idea of coming together as a, as a team of people or, or community in general? There's a couple things that come to mind, and maybe you felt it this week. The most obvious one is that, folks, we are busy people, okay? We don't have time for that. We, got, we have so many other things that are happening in our life. We're so busy. We don't have time for what we're hearing in the first church. And maybe you felt the busyness this week of one thing after another thing in your schedule and your kids' schedules, and they're coming up with energy drinks on energy drinks just to try to keep up with our busyness because we, folks, we're addicted to busy, aren't we? And in our society, the busier you are, the better you are. The more maybe regarded, if you're busy, then, then you've got things happening in your life. So that's, that's one thing that would keep us away, and that's just kind of reality of what we have to face. And I guess the question that I felt personally convicted about this week is this. If, if your schedule is dictating your life, then what are some things that you're making time for that you need to maybe eliminate? 
for more important things. The other thing I think that keeps us from this community idea is, is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that maybe people will see the real me if we're living in community. If people know about who I am and, and living life together, that's what I'm hearing this morning, they might find out about the real me. And I don't want anybody to know the real me, all right? Maybe, that, maybe that's coming up. Maybe it's the feeling, and it's kind of natural, I think, for each of us. We kind of have this pride as maybe even Americans are like, I don't need anyone else, okay? I don't need anybody else. I don't need community. I can do this by myself. I can do this Jesus thing by myself. I don't need anybody else. I heard this story about Muhammad Ali this week, and uh, he was flying on, we know who Muhammad Ali is, right? Okay. Uh, Muhammad Ali was on a plane, and the stewardess came by and said, sir, you need to buckle your seatbelt. And he looked at her, and and, and this is a roundabout quote is this, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she turned around as quick as could be and said, Superman didn't need an airplane either, did he? (laughs) We think we don't need anyone, right? We think we don't need anyone. And I think our culture kind of tells us that too, right? And, And there's this cultural problem that we have that promotes individualism and isolationism where we want to be isolated from everyone else. And that's why, I don't know if you remember, back in the day, we had porches on the front of the house. And you would know all your neighbor's name. And you would even invite them onto your porch, and you'd spend time with them. But now, where are our porches, the big porches? They're in the backyard with the big fences, so no one will see us, right? That's because we're encouraged to be isolated to do our own thing. In fact, there's even a phrase that I think even the church is maybe, I don't think on purpose, but there's this phrase that's out there that I think is stuck in our, our minds that might encourage us this way. It's this, it's my personal relationship with God. And what does that feel like? It feels like a, a me thing, right? It's my personal relationship with God. It's mine. That phrase I'm going to be, just maybe this will disappoint you this morning, it's not in the Bible anywhere. It's not a bad phrase necessarily. It is a personal, it should be personal with you and God. But God never intended for it to be just you and God. It is a community of believers. It is a community of people that come together. Throughout scripture, what does he tell his people? In, in, in the Old Testament, he says this, I will be your God and you will be my person. You're going to be my person. What does he say in scripture? Over and over again, he says this phrase, I will be your God and you will be my people. People, it's a community of believers that's there. And even from the beginning, when God created man, he said this, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make someone else. The Trinity itself is community, this community that we have together, and it's a beautiful thing so that we cannot say, I don't need that. In fact, he dresses it, fully in 1 Corinthians 12. He says it this way, and this is an interesting metaphor analogy. The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. It is with the body of Christ. Some of us are Jews, and some of us are Gentiles. Some of us are slaves, and some are free, but we have all been baptized. That's the unifying thing that we have in common. We're baptized into this one faith. 
one body, one spirit, and we are all the same of the same spirit. Yes, the body has many different jobs, not just one part. If the foot, this is kind of a funny visual, if the foot says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not a part of the body because I'm not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, that just is a weird image right there, the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The hand, head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body, they seem weakest and least important, are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen with the, the more honorable parts do not require the special care. So God has put this body together such that the extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for more harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, then all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, then all the parts are honored. This body working together, the body of Christ, different parts. Why? Why is this so important? Pretty simple. I need you. Did you forget? One more time. I need you. You need me. We need you. You need us. And I have to tell you, as much as I love teams and sports, I love the church even more. I am a a church kid. I grew up in the church. I was raised by uh, people that I called my aunts and uncles. Uh, You know, I, I have a close, immediate family with my parents and my sisters, but my aunts and uncles we're not really close to for various reasons. But my aunts and uncles and my grandparents were the people I went to church with. They were the closest. These are the people that just loved on me as a kid. And, and I love church. I love vacation Bible school. I love the crafts. I love the songs. I loved youth group uh, at one point because of, of the fun things we did and other things because it was, there were girls there and there were pizzas there and, and all the things that happened there. There's tons of reasons why I love the church. I invited my friend, uh, Pastor Jen. She's our, our children's pastor and I just invited her to just share why, why she loves the church so much. I grew up in the church, too, um, but you wouldn't have known it in my house. Um, we were kind of a mess. Uh, you wouldn't have known it by the faces that we put on at church. When I was two, there was a couple named Blair and Alice Armstrong, And Blair and Alice were um, my grandparents' age, and they were friends with my grandparents, and they invited my family to church. And so as a two-year-old, we stepped foot into the Church of the Nazarene. Um, Blair was a stonemason and didn't have um, most of his fingers. And uh, so I always remember that about him, and he would make jokes about not having all of his fingers. Um, And then when I would get there to church, I remember as uh, about five years old, and if you know my Henley, you know that she doesn't love people, and <laughs> she's starting to, um, but I was a lot like her, and I would hide behind my mom, and I wouldn't talk to anyone, 
And Mr. Jackson, I think, was about 90 years old. Mr. Jackson would always know my name, and he would give me a hug, and I remember his hearing aid would squeal in my ear. But he knew my name, and even though I wouldn't say a whole lot to him, I, uh, I always looked forward to, to seeing him because I knew he recognized me. There was a lady named Wanda Smith, and I was not nice to Wanda. I drew pictures of her. If you remember the offering things that used to be in the back of the, the pews, I would open them up and I would draw ugly pictures of her. Um, Wanda spent many, many a Saturday. She was a cafeteria worker, and she spent many a Saturday morning with a whole bunch of rowdy kids to teach us these plays and musicals and um, get us up on stage, even though we weren't very good at all. But she did that, and she loved music. It wasn't her job, but that's how she wanted to invest in us. She did that every Saturday for months on end. And then my fifth grade Sunday school teacher, her name was Gail Stewart. And in fifth grade, this was not a time that I wanted to be at church. Um, in fact, the only time that I wanted to go to church was for her class because she had Little Debbie snack cakes every week. And we didn't just get one snack cake. I mean, we got the, the two-pack, you know, I mean, every Sunday she got that. And I think she was a, re a retired, she worked in the school maybe. Um, she was retired. She was an, an older lady. And she just, every Sunday she had these snack cakes. Now, I would leave her class. And we were supposed to go to the sanctuary. And I would go sit in the bathroom through the whole service because I was not interested in church stuff in the fifth grade. But I went because I knew I would get a little Debbie snack cake. And that made a difference because a couple of years later, there was a guy named Chuck, and Chuck was a roofer. And Chuck decided that he wanted to hang out with the preteens. And I was loud and obnoxious, and I was one of those, you know what I'm talking about. It just when they saw me coming, it was like, whoa. In fact, I think he, he had a name for me, you know, those troll dolls, because my hair was so crazy back then. He called me his little troll. And so, Ch <laughs> don't call me that. <laughs> Chuck, after working all day on someone's roof, decided that he would take a big group of us to a lock-in overnight after working all day. And it was at that lock-in that a really uncool pastor stood up and talked about having a new life and having a new slate, starting over. It was New Year's. And it was that night that I made a decision to follow Jesus. And it wasn't because of that night. It was because of Blair and Alice, and it was because of Wanda and Mr. Jackson, and it was because of Gail Stewart who invested in me even when they probably didn't think it was, a make, it was making a difference at all. But they loved me, and they invested in me. I didn't think they were the coolest people in the world, but I knew they loved me, and that made all the difference in the world. And so today, here I am, and it's because of them. Thanks, Jen. Uh, 
my friend uh, Harold Baker. Uh, there's a picture of him, I think, on the, on the screen there. This is with his wife, uh, Sandy. And uh, Harold, uh, I would watch him in church every Sunday that I, when I grew up at, at Midland Valley in South Carolina when I was a teenager. He would always sit second row on this side. And when there was singing happening in, in the worship time, it was like he was having a conversation with God. I mean, it was like it was just him and God. And he was literally just like singing to God. You could just see it. It didn't matter the song. It didn't matter the genre. It was like he was having this conversation. And there would be times, I would remember, it was like he was the, the antenna to the Holy Spirit. Like suddenly he would get blessed. And some people do different things when they get blessed. Some people raise their hands. Some people uh, just amen. Some people just do different things. Mr. Harold, you know what he would do? He would just get this look on his eye and he would just go around and he would start shaking people's hands just in the middle of singing. And that's what he would do. He'd just shake people's hands, and he would look them eye to eye, and it was like you were looking into the face of Jesus. This last weekend, um, Mr. Harold, who's uh, married to, to Miss Sandy for 71 years, 71 years, uh, and in their, in their 90s, and I know this about those two, they, they love God deeply. They loved each other deeply, and you saw that, and they loved their church deeply. This last week, Miss Sandy uh, passed away. And so at the, the memorial service, Mr. Harold, what does he do? He sits over there. He sings every song, and he has a conversation with God. People that have impacted me. There's some other people uh, in our church, and we can name Dozens and dozens. And maybe you think about this morning the people have impacted you in the community of believers. In Nazarene Missions International, NMI, that's our missions organization, we have a, an honor that we give to those who have gone on before us in the Lord. It's called the memorial roll, where we want to honor those who have been examples to us. And there are three men in, in, in this last year, year plus that have gone before us. And I think about the passage in Hebrews chapter 12 when it says, because we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who have gone before us and precede us in death, who have who invested in others because of this, let's throw off the sin that entangles us and let's run this race with perseverance. And so this morning we're going to honor three gentlemen that have passed away in this last couple of years. Their, their wives are actually with us this morning. John Morelli, I don't know if you know uh, John by his picture, but he's just, he was just a character, and uh, just so glad that Miss Norlin is with us today, and uh, I don't know if you can, but hopefully the microphone will track us here. We have uh, just a, a plaque with this memorial roll, and, and basically what this is, 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 is an honor for John, but it's also a, a way that we invest in missionaries around the world. And something about each one of these gentlemen, John, Ernie, and John, they were investors in people and in ministry. And we are so honored uh, to present this to you today, Ms. Norlin. And Miss Roberta. 
Mr. Ernie, I didn't have the privilege to have a, a very close relationship with him, but I was able to go to his memorial service, and I remember something amazing about that day. You could not have been a, a witness to that service and not say that this man did not love the Lord, did not love, he, he loved his family deeply, and he invested in each person that he came in contact with. And we are so glad to be able to present you today, Ms. Roberta, with this memorial roll certificate. Thank you. And Miss Jackie is not sitting where she normally sits. There she is. John Snyder uh, meant a, a ton to me personally. I'm not going to talk too much because I will cry, and I don't like to cry in front of people. Uh, but uh, this is a, just a special honor to John and to his legacy and just to remember the way that he loved others well and invested well, especially in this church. And we are thankful for you. We love you. Why is this a special thing today? It's pretty simple. I need you. You need me. We're back together now. We need you. And you need us, right? Now, as I look at the New Testament... There's something about 90% of the New Testament, this is what it's all about. You know, it's Jesus' life in the Gospels, but after that, 90% of it is all about the church living life together. And I love this phrase that Andy Stanley used. It's the primary activity of the church is this, to one another, as one anothering, one another. One anothering, one another. Now, what do I mean by that? What does he mean by that? If you look at Scripture, it's all about these one another phrases. Let's just look at a few of them. The church is called, as, as in these relationships and this community together, to forgive one another. To forgive one another. That's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? But that's what God's called us to do. To accept one another, no matter our background or our stories. To care for one another. To confess our sins to one another. To pray and lift each other up. Pray for one another to encourage one another in this faith, in this race that we're running together, this trying to realign our lives and live this mission to be like Christ in the world and to show others, to submit to one another, to bear with one another. What does it mean to bear with one another? We don't all have the same personalities, do we? Sometimes those personalities clash, but we can have grace and bear with, with one another, to restore one another when a brother or sister has fallen that we are going to be the ones to pick them up in this faith race, to carry one another's burden. Now we're wrapping up things here, okay? Last question. Sports Talk Radio all this week has been talking about one kind of thing other than, than football is this. What's the one picture, what's the one thing that you're going to remember from the Olympics this year? What's the one, we had the Olympics, everybody was excited about lots of things happening. What's the one thing that you're going to, because probably in 20 years you'll forget most of it, but what's the one thing that you're going to remember? I'm going to try to refresh your memory a little bit. Here's some maybe options. Maybe Katie Ledecky just demolishing the field uh, in uh, swimming. Maybe it's our very own Simone Biles just doing things that you will never, ever be able to do. Or maybe it was the Brazilian soccer team in their home country winning uh, the gold, and I, and I believe it was extra time. 
Or maybe it was Simone uh, Manuel, first African-American swimmer to win uh, a gold. Beautiful moment, also from Houston. Maybe it was Michael Phelps' stare down of that, that guy, <laughs> Chad LeClue. <laughs> Chad LeClue. And then beating him in the pool. And that was an awesome moment, wasn't it? Or maybe it was Usain Bolt when he once again just electrified uh, everyone and, and, and swept the three medals there, the 100, 200, and the, and the reload. I hope, I hope your memory of this Olympics is not Loctigate and that whole situation. Uh, we hope that's not your memory. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. But there's going to be one picture that I am going to take from these. These are great nominees, but the one picture, did you, you had to have seen it. The race with, with the, the, the women in the 5,000 meters. You know what I'm talking about, right? What an amazing moment where two of the racers... They, they, they click legs together, and one of them falls over, Abby uh, D'Agostino and Nikki Hamblin. And what happens? Does, does the one girl just leave the other one behind and say, I've got to finish this. This is my moment. This is what I've been training for. What does she do? No. She goes back for her. She picks, helps picks her up and says, come on, we've got to run. This is the Olympics. This is our moment. We're in this together. We're in this together. What an amazing moment. And they finished the race. I think one of them even tore their ACL, and I'm having a hard time keeping it together as I think about this, because you can see it in your mind, can't you? They finished the race together. That's what the church looks like, people. That's what it's all about, this we're running this race together. Last verse, John 13, 35 says this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. How? If you love one another, if you love one another. So this, this morning, we're going to get ready to celebrate a few things. Uh, we're going to take communion together because that's what the people of God do. We're going to celebrate baptism together because it's a great moment to celebrate people's stories and their lives. What are some other ways that maybe you can get involved in this community kind of thing here? We just encourage you to get involved in a small group. Because this thing right here that you have, that you're sitting in now, those are called rows. They're lines or rows. Now, you can't one another, one another in rows. You can't pray for each other or care for each other, encourage one another, lift each other up in this setting here. This worship setting is great. You come in at 10.15 or 10.30 for some of you, and that's okay. Uh, You come in and... Then we leave at 11-something, and then you go. But if that's the only time, you can't do those things that the first church did. You can't. You can't. I'm just going to be honest with you. Here's that personal moment. It's not who we're called to be. That's not what God designed for the church. And so what we say is this. We would love for you to be in small groups because it's a circle of people. It's a living room setting where we say, I know your name, you know my name, you know my heart, you know the things that we're struggling with, you know that we have three kids and we don't know how to make it every week, and we need your help because maybe you've gone before us and you've been there, and we need to encourage and lift each other up and make it together. So we encourage you to join a small group, and we encourage you to invest in other people, to invest in other people, and so many of you guys are already doing this, in kids, in youth. And people, as they come in on Sunday mornings, donuts, 
greeters. We have so many ways that people are investing in others right here, and we invite you to be a part of that, that church, that community. So this morning, we've, I'm going to ask the worship band to come, and uh, we're going to go to the table today. And I don't know if you noticed this about the Gospels or the, the Bible, but uh, Jesus eats a lot, okay? Have you noticed that? You can't get very far because guess what? We have to eat all the time. And Jesus took advantage of these moments because it was an eye-to-eye moment. It wasn't a, a row moment. It was a circle moment where people sit down together at a table, and they, when they break bread together, you get to know somebody. You get to look into their life and their heart. And so one night, Jesus was with his disciples, and they were at a table together. And the disciples didn't fully know what was happening that night, but Jesus took a piece of bread, and he took a cup, and he said, this is my body, and he broke the bread, and he passed it to the disciples. This is my body that was broken for you, and then he took a cup, and every time I look at this cup, I think about what Jesus was thinking that night, the color of the juice. Can't help but remind you of the blood that he shed for us. Why? His love and his mercy and his grace in our lives. And that is the thing that bonds us all together, people. It's this one word, grace. And so this morning, we invite you to come to the table. We do things a little different here. Maybe you've experienced this before. But this is, we take by way of intention. You'll come up. Somebody will be holding the elements. You'll take a piece of bread. You'll dip it in. And you'll take it. And you'll give thanks And then this is what we do. We're going to hand the elements to you because we want to serve one another. We serve one another and we pass the elements down. You don't have to be a member of our church. You just have to be a follower of Jesus and love him and accept his grace this morning. We've got a few people. They're going to be the first ones to serve us. We'll have communion and then we'll, we'll go from there. But I invite you to just to come to the table and to worship him. Hey, how many of you guys were worried on Eddie on that last one? Uh, It's a little stronger than we thought. He said dolphin. Did you hear that? He said, I love that kid. Uh, It's been a great day, hasn't it? It's been a great day. And would you do this? It doesn't stop here today for those folks, okay? It, It starts today. It's a beginning for them. It's a new beginning for them. And so would you pray for them this week? Would you not just pray for them this week, but every time you think of them or you think of baptism, pray for them that God would continue to grow and they would continue to follow them in all the ways of their life. So tonight, we're going to go all first church on you, and we are going to have a potluck, and uh, we are going to have a great night together. We're going to, they're calling it a stakeholders rally. And basically what we're doing here is, is we're going to continue to celebrate what God is doing, is all, doing all over HFC. And uh, we're going to be celebrating uh, good news and good stories, and we're going to be eating together. So if you weren't planning on coming tonight, bring, bring something and just come on. Bring a dish and come on. Some of you signed up, some of you haven't. Starts at 6. We'll get out of here around 745, and it's going to be a great night together. Go now in the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and remember who God has called us to be in this world. You are dismissed.